Hey, I'm Russ. And I'm Steve. Growing up in the 80s, we were introduced to video games, movies, and technology that made a lasting impression on us and forever enriched our lives. I think I'm gonna cry! It's been a fascinating journey to be a part of, one that we constantly treasure. Fire! Booty! Our goal is simple. Share our magical moments of discovery and geek out with lovely folks. Just like you! Uh, achievement unlocked! So if you crave pixel goodness, memorable moments, and experiences that make your inner child do the happy dance, you've come to the right place. Let's do this! Welcome to Joygasm! <laughs> yeah! Welcome back to Joygasm, where we talk about video games, movies, and pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360, and I will be your solo host as we careen into episode 43 on this October 21st, 2017. To get the most out of Joygasm, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on Joygasm.tv and SoundCloud.com slash Joygasm TV. Also, for exclusive access and some sweet goodies, check us out at Patreon.com slash Joygasm. And no matter which platform you use to enjoy the show, please drop us a subscription, thumbs up, or a review. It helps us build awareness, which we appreciate very very much. Steve couldn't be here. He is out of state attending a buddy's wedding, which is too bad because we have an exciting show. We have special guest animation lead Raymond Crook from Double Fine joining me to gab about Psychonauts 2, his career as an animator, and what it's like to work for the legendary Tim Schafer. But first, the day of reckoning is at hand. We have a winner for our SNES Classic Mini Giveaway. Before I say who won, please note that we do in fact have another SNES Classic Mini Giveaway that will commence on November 1st. So if you didn't win, you will have another chance to win. And we are sweetening the prize by adding in a SNES Classic wireless controller with the SNES Classic Mini. So keep your eyes peeled for when we drop instructions on how to enter for that on November 1st. And now, the winner is Marcos at Helvetica Standard, which is spelled Helvetica, as you would like expect it to be, and then at the S-T-N-D-R-D at Helvetica Standard. Congrats to you, buddy, on winning the giveaway drawing. We will contact you for your address so we can get this bad boy shipped ASAP. If Marcos doesn't respond within 72 hours, his win will be forfeited and we will do another random drawing. So make sure you respond to us, Marcos. It is in your best interest. This next segment is made possible in part by our patrons, and I'd like to give a shout out to two of them in particular. PJ Ryder and Sean Byers, we appreciate your support. You guys rock. Now on to the main event. I'm excited to introduce all of you to Raymond Crook, the animation lead at Double Fine Productions. For the uninitiated, Double Fine was founded by the amazing Tim Schafer, who is the brainchild of many graphic adventures, including Full Throttle, 
Grim Fandango, and Day of the Tentacle. This particular animator has worked on Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, and Sesame Street Once Upon a Monster, among a great many others. He is currently working on Psychonauts 2, but was kind enough to take a break to chat with us. Ray, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Russ. Appreciate it. It has been a long time. I know that uh, reaching out to you, we haven't spoken in, in quite some time. I think it was about 15 years, but I just wanted the listeners to know that uh, you and I actually attended the same college together. Right. And uh, ever since then, we've kind of parted our ways and set out in our own adventures, but I'm glad that we're able to reconnect here. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I mean, you know, we kind of keep up a little bit on Facebook and, uh, to, you know, try and understand what each other is still doing. And, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, but it's been, it's great to, to talk to you again. I know I gave you a brief intro, but would you like to start out with an introduction as to just who you are and provide a background as to what you do? Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you said who I was and uh, I, I work for Double Fine Productions, which is a, I mean, a lot of you probably have heard of the company, but um, if you haven't, it's a independent developer uh, in San Francisco. And it was founded by Tim Schaefer. Uh, where he left LucasArts and, um, and started um, this company, Double Fine, about, um, let's see, it's been, I think we're going on 17 year anniversary now, getting, getting close to 17 years uh, in business. And um, I have been with the company for um, 16 years. Oh, wow. So you're actually one of the, the OGs almost of the company. Yeah, there's, there's a few of us still left sort of the, you know, kind of the old original um, crew uh, that worked on like the, our first game, Psychonauts, uh, mm-hmm. that are still there. And um, yeah, yeah, it was my first job uh, out of college. Uh, kind of found out about the company. Um, actually, um, Grim Fandango had been released. I don't know if you remember when when I was in school, and, and you may remember this. Um, when Grim Fandango was released, um, we had an art exhibit. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that actually. Yeah. Wow. That's a blast from the past. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of how I was introduced to, to Tim's games. Actually, I had not played, uh, any of them. I mean, he had done, um, he'd worked on, you know, he'd worked on the monkey Island series and then, um, uh, and he, he did day of the tentacle, uh, mm. co-directed that game which I had not played and then full throttle. And then when Grimm oh. came, to, came out, they did, uh, they did that, that art show. And then I saw it and I was just like, wow, you can actually like make really beautiful things, uh, in video games and not thinking I'd ever actually work for, for him or with him. Um, but, but that's sort of how I was introduced to, to Tim and, and Tim's games. I've got to tell you that Full Throttle is hands down one of my absolute favorite games. Oh, I remember, awesome. Oh, I, re- I remember playing that all the time on my PC way back in the day. I love that game so much. Actually, um, I love the the main theme song. That it's awesome, isn't it? I had a buddy who, on my birthday, he actually found out who the band was that was hired to do that, and he bought me the actual album of that band. So I was playing that over and over and over again. It was so cool. Yeah, was it was it the Polecat? Wait, I forgot the name. What was the name? I forgot the name. I should know. I actually have you played. I don't know if you played the uh, remaster or not. I have not. Um, it just came out. Um, I I don't know how many. Let's see. Maybe three months ago or four. Maybe maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's been 
five months. Anyway, it's check it out, um, or if your audience is interested, um, you can actually get it on uh, for the iPad. And it oh, actually plays sweet! Really well, really well on iOS. It's actually it's a it's a perfect um, platform actually for it. Um, but you can get on. I think you can get, you can get on the PS4 as well and PC. Um, but it's. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of it actually how it turned out. So if 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 you want to kind of revisit it, and the thing is you can switch you can switch to the old uh, version or the new version. So you know if you if you want to just go back and play it the way you remembered it, um, you can do that, or you can play the remaster. But oh, that's but awesome. the way. Yeah, I mean because we did. Um, I worked on uh, Day of the Tentacle, also the remaster, mm-hmm. um, and when we were trying to come up with the you know what what it should look like. And what, um, you know, like how far should we veer from the original? We really didn't want to. What we wanted it to look like was how you remembered it when you played it, right? Because sure. back then, you, you're just, even though the graphics were limited, you're still blown away by them. And, um, but now when you look at it, you're like, oh, it's really pixelated. But we wanted it to just, Look like the way you remembered it when you played it, which mm-hmm. you just you don't remember the pixelation, you know, when, when you when you played it originally. Well, and our screens were a lot smaller too back then. I mean, nowadays yeah. we have such huge screens. Of course, you know the pixels are going to look stretched as a result. Yeah, yeah. And then I think day the tentacle, I, I can't remember full throttle too. They wanted to support 4K. I, I think they ended up supporting 4K. Um, so yeah, you had to do pretty really high res um, um, drawovers of of every frame. Um, that was done of the original animation. Um, that's that's what we ended up doing for that. But um, I don't know if I'm getting off on a tangent on that. But no, 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 no. I absolutely love talking about those games because the, those games back in the day, especially like Full Throttle, for instance, like when I found out that Mark, Ham- I think it was Mark Hamill who did the, the voice of the main character. Is that right? Uh, he did a voice of, um, uh, not of Ben, who was the, the main biker guy. He did a voice for um, one of the was it Corley? I can't remember which. It was, it was one of the other guys. It's been but, so long since I played it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but yeah. But the other thing is it, that might you might find interesting if you were a fan of it is that they have uh, commentary, so you can turn commentary on at certain points, and so you can actually listen to some commentary. Like, oh, as cool. If, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of interactive. Um, you get to learn a lot about the history of the game um, and how it was made, and and so. So, so that, that's pretty cool. So it's commentary of, from the original guys that, that originally worked on it. That's very cool. And it's actually, it's really cool that you, as well as others, are, were able to actually you know, collaborate on the remastered edition. I, I don't know. I, I think I would be geeking out constantly if I was working on a game that I used to play as like a kid. And now all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm actually able to touch it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It was kind of cool. They got to go up to the, uh, the archives um, up, at, up at the ranch uh-huh. Um, and, you know, try to find the original tapes, like the, all the, all the, the backup tapes, um, so they could get all of the original data, um, for it. And so, so I didn't get to go, but Tim and, and a couple other people went up and, and they were able to like, go through those old archives. And, um, so that's, it was, it, it was kind of neat. It was fun to see the video of them, you know, digging around in those boxes and stuff. Oh, sure. <laughs> it was like an archeological dig up there. So which games um, have you worked on total during your tenure at Double Fine? Yeah, so let's see. Um, you mentioned uh, three big ones, which was Psychonauts, mm-hmm. Brutal Legend, and then Once Upon a Monster. Uh, then I worked on Costume Quest. Um, 
Broken Age, uh, Act One and Two. Um, that was I was an uh, animation lead on that one, and then I worked on uh, an iOS game, um, which was called Middle Manager of Justice. Okay. Um, it was kind of like a free to play game. We, you know, everyone was doing the free to play, so we thought we'd give it a shot, and um, and it actually turned out it's it's a really beautiful game, uh, and I'm really proud of it. Uh, and that was really fun because I had never done um, any 2D work like professionally. Um, and so I had a little bit of downtime and I wanted to, we, we animated it in Flash and I kind of wanted to learn it and I wanted to try it. So I just said, hey, can I, can I help out on that game? And, and I had the time and they needed the help. And so I was able to, to, to pick up Flash and, and do this. So that was all 2D. And then I ended up on a game called Hack and Slash, um, which was also a 2D um, game. That's a cool name. I like that. Yeah, hack and slash. Uh, that that was pretty fun. Um, and then once upon a monster, uh, I did a little bit of work on Massive Chalice. Um, that was another Kickstarter game that we did. Um, that was led by Brad Muir. Let's see. Um, oh, I, there was one game that we did a prototype for, and then we actually did ship it um, called Autonomous. Okay. Which which shipped. Um, it was shipped for the Leap. Do you remember? I don't know if you know what the Leap controller is, which is like this little. It was. It was kind of like. Uh, I think it's still around, um, but you. It would detect your hands, and then you could. It could detect your fingers, and it would. It would track your fingers. Really. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we we did a game called Autonomous for that. It was a smaller smaller project. Um, I know I'm forgetting some. I, I tried to think about all the games. Oh yeah, I remember there was a game that you, um, for some reason, I I seem to remember on uh, your Facebook page, you were talking about how the company was was creating multiple games. And this may have been what you were referring to with uh, the, the mobile games. Uh, but I remember there was a particular title that it's, if I remember correctly, it sounded like you really took the lead on, like just in terms of the being the brainchild of that particular game. And then there were like three or four others that were going on simultaneously and they all just kind of dropped together. Does that ring a bell at all? Let's see. So, so we, do, um, we, we do a thing called, and I can get into this later in more detail, but uh, at the company we do a thing called Amnesia Fortnite, which oh, is okay. we, we, we stop working on all the current titles that we're working on for two weeks and then we do uh, prototyping. And you can, if you want, you can, you can pitch your game and if it's picked, then you can, you can actually lead the prototype um, for that. But I, I actually never have never led one of those. What I did do, and I don't know if this is what you were thinking about, but, uh, we did a game not too long ago, which was a, a game for PSVR called, um, Psychonauts and the Rhombus of Ruin. Okay. Um, and that was, I was the co-lead on, on that game. So, um, I worked with Chad Dawson, uh, we were the two leads on that, uh, and that came out, um, I don't know, six months ago, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't say I wasn't the brainchild on that, but I, I definitely was a big part of the design, and um, and then I was also ended up being the art director on it, um, and then the animation lead. But um, well, that en- enabled you to really stretch your wings out. I mean, like typically, it sounds like like your your kind of your day in day out responsibilities hover around animation. So the fact that you got to do some art direction that sounds cool. Yeah, that was that was that was fun. Uh, what happened was we had a lead on that project, and um, he ended up leaving after we had we hadn't even come out of really prototyping. 
Um, and so we, we were left without a lead on the project. And uh, so Tim asked uh, myself and then Chad if, if we would take on the role. And he's a, he's a programmer, so he's an engineer. And then I'm coming from animation art side. So it kind of worked out pretty well. Um, you know, there was things that he could handle and things that I could handle. And, um, and so, so it actually worked out nicely. Um, except I did leave, I left, to, I moved um, away from the Bay Area when we had about, I think we had about f- three or four months left on that project. So mm. not the best timing, um, something I never thought I would ever do, but I, I ended up needing to do that. And, um, and so he, he kind of took on the, the role as the lead uh, to, to finish that, that project. Okay, but it was but it was a, it was a great experience to be able to um, be really a, you know be part of the design team, be part of everything really, mm-hmm. um, and and then also art direct. I'd done some art direction, uh, a very small thing. We, when when I did, you mentioned uh, Once Upon a Monster, which was a game that we we ended up doing with uh, Sesame Street. Actually, we we kind of brought some of the characters that we had developed. And Warner Brothers had the licenses for the Sesame Street games, and so we had talked to them, and they we decided, hey, let's you know maybe we can collaborate and do something together. Um, and when we shipped the uh, when we created the DLC for that, um, we had lo- our, I think our art director had moved on to another project, um, and so I took that on. So I art directed the the DLC, and so that was kind of where I got my feet wet in art direction. Were um, you so able done- to? Sorry to interrupt you, but uh, were you able to actually go visit the set of Sesame Street for reference? So yes, yeah. So that was that was actually a really cool experience. So we didn't fit, we didn't visit the set, but we went to Henson Workshop. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, it was that was actually um, made it worth that whole because that was a hard project. Um, but all all projects are hard. I mean, you know, video games are hard. You know that they're just yeah. they're hard to make. Um, but. That made it really all worth it because the Warner Brothers flew us to New York. Uh, Tim and I went out with um, the project lead, who's Nathan Martz. Um, and then we met Scott Campbell out there, who was uh, doing character design for it. And and then we got to go to Henson Workshops and and meet the uh, the master puppet builders that, that build the puppets. Oh, my gosh. And, like, it was so awesome. Cool. Yeah, and they said, you know, you can see anything you want. Just let us know what you want to see. And, um, and I mean, it was... It was an awesome experience. I felt really bad because I didn't take any pictures because they were, they were, they're kind of um, strict about the picture situation, you know. They, it's like you can take a picture of the puppet, but it has to have... Someone's arm has to be in it, so someone mm. has to be kind of articulating... But then if it's not the puppeteer who normally does it, then you can't have them in the picture. Um, so there were, there were all these restrictions. So I was really nervous about taking pictures. So um, I just took a lot of notes. Um, we asked them to see how oh, we got to see pretty much all of the main Sesame Street characters and the woman who was, who was the lead puppet builder. She was showing us, you know, how they're built. Like it was really, it was actually really, really helpful and just really, really fun. To I was going to say, like as an experience. animator, I mean, you must really. Uh, it's just uh, obviously you're you're on the digital side of things, but looking at something that's physical, that's tangible, that you can actually yeah. articulate with your hands. I mean, I'm sure that in its own way, that was kind of a goldmine for you. Yeah, it, it it was it was really helpful. I I I actually really appreciate the notes that I took. I still look through that little notebook and and um, and see, um, 
you know, like she talked about, like what was it, like like Ernie and how did how they built the neck for Ernie? And they just used like a coffee can, you know, and um, you know, just just all these little tricks that they that they had. And and I remember when she was saying um, that they have a lot of problems now with because everything's high definition. Uh, you can see because they used to just pin like the noses on, you know, you know the they would have sort of the blank Muppet and they would put like a different nose and the different eyes on and the different ears and mm-hmm. hair. They would just pin those on. But she said now uh, because everything shows up, it, it's difficult to just quickly do it. You have to sew stuff on or you have to hide everything because all of those little pins would start start showing up. Sure. Um, and it was like it was just cool. Like she shows Cookie Monster because Cookie Monster was in the game and. And she showed us how they did the googly, you know, because he has those googly eyes. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just basically this, this black metal disc that has a that has a nail stuck in it, you know, <laughs> offset, and that's how it like jiggles around. And just really, these really little simple solutions uh, that were that were just just fun to see. And because um, we really wanted the animation, I you know, we wanted to feel like puppets. We didn't want it to we didn't want to go too far from that. You know, we wanted them to feel like the actual characters that you would see on, um, you know, on, on Sesame street. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're sort of the, the, they're the rod puppets, you know, they use the rod on the hands. And right. So I wanted to see, you know, what do the arms move like? Cause they're kind of, a lot of them just had the floppy arms and she was showing us like the beads that they put into the arms to get that floppy look. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really wanted to keep that style uh, when we when we did the um, the the game. You know, we didn't want to articulate the eyes, um, and so she talked to us quite a bit about how the how the puppeteers um, puppeteer. You know, actually do the puppeteering, and that and and we and we as animators tried to take that information and um, and almost imagine that we were. A puppeteer. I mean, we are in a way, right? But mm-hmm. but almost imagine that your hand was up in the in the digital puppet and manipulating it. And oh so, yeah. So it was it was fun, and we we did a uh, we had a puppet making night when we knew that we were going to be doing that game with Sesame Street. We we organized a puppet making night for the team, and so I went out and bought a bunch of the supplies, and then we went on. You know, I went online and found some guy that. You know, it shows you how to do a, a, a simple um, like hand and rod puppet. And we had a couple of, of people bring sewing machines. One guy's mom, this guy Levi, his mom came and she like did, because we didn't know how to sew. And so she like helped us sew the, the puppets and everything. It was, it was awesome. Like it was, a, it was just a, I have a lot of fond uh, memories of, of, that, of that game. Well, especially coming full circle, like I'm sure as a kid, you probably watched the program way back in the day. And now you coming in, being able to kind of peek behind the curtain, so to speak, and just see how they did everything. I mean, that's that's like a bucket list item for me, anyway. I think that's yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, that that was it was a special experience that I I actually really cherish that that experience, and I I still get uh, Christmas cards from the Henson Company, which is really really yeah yeah. I don't know what uh, we kind of um, befriended one of the um, uh, she just goes by Z. Um, she works, I don't know if she still works there or not, but she, uh, worked in the, um, for the organization and she Mm -hmm. was a big double fine fan. And so, uh, (laughs) so yeah. So when we were there, like she came running out and was like super excited to meet us, even though, you know, we were, we were really excited to be there. And so she, anyway, so I, so I get these Christmas cards, which is, which is really fun. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, you know, anything from Henson, um, 
it's just exciting to get. You know, I'm reading a, a biography right now, a Jim Henson biography, which is which is pretty fascinating. And I've always been fascinated with puppets. Actually, it's something that I, um, you know, I, I think when you work in digital, um, I think you kind of long for something physical. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, you, you might feel that way. I, th- I think a lot of people do, um, and I think maybe that's why I really appreciate um, like stop motion animation. I think a lot of animators do that that work in digital. I think that um, there is something really special and magical about that medium, about something that is real and tactile, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I mean, we, maybe I got off on a little bit of a tangent um, and maybe I can talk about, I don't know if you want me to do that now. I can talk about kind of how I ended up in animation. Sure. Um, you can go for it. Oh, you know, one of the things I was going to say really quickly, just to bounce off of what you just said was, um, I, as a kid, I, w- I received actually the stuffed animal that doubled also as a puppet. There was a, a, a you know, little area where um, you could put your hand into the back of the head of this dog, this little dog puppet thing. And I lost track of it. Uh, you know, fast forward to now where I'm a dad and I end up finding this thing and my daughter <laughs> loves it. So now I get to totally be a dork and like, oh, you know, give it a voice and, and interact with my daughter. Anyway. It's the best. No, that's awesome. (laughs) No, that's really, that's really awesome. I mean, there is something magical about them, you know? Yeah. Um, It's weird. They, they sort of become a real thing uh, to the audience. Um, But we we were talking about, you know, something tactile and something, you know, quote, real. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know how real a puppet is, but... um, uh, just something that's physical versus something that's digital. You know, you work, yeah. you you work in a digital space constantly, and so you being able to actually get your hands on something that, like you said, is tactile. That's that's physical. That I mean, I think that that really broadens your your horizons as an animator. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is uh, helpful. I think it's a. I think it's just one more thing that you, um, you know, another tool that you can use uh, when you. When, when you start animating something. Um, yeah, because I mean, what, so, so kind of to talk a little bit about how I got into it, as a kid, I always just, you know, you may have been this, I think probably the, you know, the, the listeners of, of this podcast probably can relate to this, um, just growing up and watching, whether it's monster movies or sci-fi, uh, you know, and seeing the, the effects, the practical effects and the makeup effects and, um, and just how like that's just fascinating. Like I loved that stuff. I loved, I loved old horror movies, mm-hmm. um, and I probably loved them mostly because of the monsters, you know, and and the makeup work, um, and the masks, and um, and I remember asking a teacher when I was just you know because I so I grew up in Utah, which is where I live now, um, you know, and that's a, that's that's when you're a kid. That's that might as well be, you know from California, that's like being on the moon. <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems like it's that far away, you know? Uh-huh. And, and, and I remember asking a teacher, cause I always enjoyed art and I, I was like, you know, I, I'm interested in, um, in, you know, special effects. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying, well, I think you just have to go to California. That's what she, you know, that was, that was what she told me, which was just kind of true. I mean, um, you probably have to go to one of the coasts, um, and, uh, so, so anyway, the reason I mentioned that is cause I was just always fascinated with it. And, um, and I thought I would always work in, f- 
in film. You know, once I got into school, right. I thought, you know, I had to work in, in, in film because that's, that's what inspired me as a kid. I mean, I enjoyed video games as a kid. Um, but as far as animation goes, uh, it was, it was film and, and special effects that really fascinated me. Um, but then it was, but then when I, I mentioned earlier that I saw the exhibit from Grim Fandango and, and just saw how beautiful the art was. And I was like, you know what? I think I could work in games. Mm-hmm. Um, at least if I could work on games like this, um, I think that would feel that uh, that would fill that, um, creative, uh, need that I, that I had. Um, and so anyway, I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, here I'm always curious to hear about people's backgrounds uh, as to like just what acted as a catalyst for them as a kid moving forward into their careers and, and ultimately doing what they love to do. And it's always interesting to hear like just, you know, everybody has a, has a different story or, or, or a certain walk of life. And while there are certain parallels, cause like I can, I can relate to some of the things that you're talking about, but obviously I'm, I'm in a different capacity than you are creatively. And so, um, yeah, I, I always love to just sit back and listen to, to people just tell their tale. Yeah. And I think, I think it can be, I hope that it can be inspiring for, for somebody, you know, somebody who maybe is, um, I mean, the internet has made the world much smaller Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. You know, when, when I was trying to figure out, you know, like, just like that teacher, you know, when she said, what, what do I need to do? She's like, I don't know, go to California. You know, that was the answer. I, I didn't know where to go from there. You know, if I'd had the internet, I probably could have actually found, <laughs> found something out, you know, found out some schools and things like that. Um, and so what, the way I found the school, the school that we went to, right, we went to Cogswell uh, College, mm-hmm. Cogswell Polytechnical College. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, it, it was at Christmas time and, you know, I was studying information systems. <laughs> you know, I mean, not, not to knock on information systems for people that enjoy that, but man, I was miserable. Uh-huh. But it was, you know, it was the program that was off. It was a, you know, it was a good program. It was offered at the local university. Um, it was convenient. I had, you know, like a somewhat of a, I had a little bit of a scholarship, so it was, it wasn't very expensive. Um, but I was, I was, and I, and I actually really enjoyed all of the, um, um, what were the, like the classes like, um, philosophy Mm -hmm. and psychology, uh, what, what do they call those? The, uh, like the GE or whatever. Yeah. The GE course. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those courses I loved, but then all the courses that were related to my actual field, I, I, I hated, um, so accounting. you, you actually <laughs> weren't even, um, interested in animation as a kid growing up necessarily. It sounded like you were more kind of exploring this other Avenue. Did you actually really sink your teeth into animation in college? Yeah. So, so exactly. Yeah. Just, so I, I always enjoyed art. Like art was something that I, you know, and I, you know, so, I mean, some people have a, a, a talent for it. You know, there you, you you can tell that there's they, they have a knack for it, and and I definitely had that um, that art gene, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I would enter art contests in in junior high and in high school, and I was in AP arts, and but as a career, that just wasn't really. At least I didn't know how that could ever be a career. Um, I, you know, it just didn't seem like a possibility back then. 
And so, so I was just like, that's just not where I'm going to go. So, mm-hmm. um, so then I thought, okay, I liked computers, you know, I, I thought they, they were fun. I liked games on computers. I liked playing games. And, uh, so I just thought that was just a practical thing. So it was it was a practical choice that I that I that I had made. Um, but then realizing I was so miserable, I I did know I had to do something else. You know, I was like, I don't think I can I can do this. Mm-hmm. And so I just happened. I I kind of, it was just luck. You know, I mean, luck. I don't know if fate. I don't know if you believe in fate, then fate um, or luck. I ran into a guy that I knew in high school who was happens we weren't close or anything I just I just kind of knew him and I ran into him and uh I was like hey what are you up to and then he told me that he was at Cogswell actually Hmm. and he said he was studying 3D animation and Toy Story had come out just maybe a year before that or something Mm -hmm. it was you know the first Toy Story so the first real 3D animated film. Yeah, that was back and in like had, 1997 or something. Yeah. Let's see. Is that 97? So yeah. So, so that was, um, yeah. So it would have been right around that time. And I remember when I saw that film, I don't know if you remember seeing that film, but when I saw that film, I was just completely blown away. Totally. Like, I was totally floored. Yeah. Right. I, I just remember like just grinning the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just, I mean, it's a great film. I mean, it is all around. It's a great film, but also just it was so new. It just blew me away. And, and, I, and I was kind of into computers at the time, you know, because I was studying information system, a little bit of programming, even though I wasn't good at it. Um, and then when he told me what he was doing, I was like, what? I, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make Toy Story. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, so it just, um, I don't know. At that point, uh, I was still trying to figure out, okay, well, how would I do this, you know, because... I was living at home. I didn't have any money. Um, you know, I just had a little part-time job and 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 going to the local university and and you know, none of, no one in my family had like gone off to college. Like had really left the state to go study. So it just it just didn't seem like something that I was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So um, luckily, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, she actually moved to Utah from California, um, from Northern California, uh, specifically right from the area that the school was, was, um, located in, in Sunnyvale. Uh And so she was familiar with the area and she didn't really have those sort of, uh, reservations or fears that I had. So she just like (laughs) booked, booked two plane tickets and got a rental car and said, we're going, we're going to go check out that school. And Good for uh, her. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I, I really do owe, I owe my, really I owe my career or at least getting into my career um, to to her um, because I think I was too, I don't know if it was scared or if I was just um, hesitant, um, apprehensive. I guess those are maybe all good words to use. Well, it's a big commitment. I mean, you're, you're traveling you know, through multiple states to try something out that you're not sure how it's going to end up. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's a big commitment there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my dad thought I was crazy. You know, it's like, are you, what, what, you know, what are you doing? He's an engineer, right? So he studied automotive engineering and, um, and then worked for a company, uh, you know, they worked on rock, uh, jet engines and 
um, missile engines and stuff, you know. So he, oh, wow. he, he, so he's coming from a very different place, I guess. Uh, he's literally a rocket scientist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know, right. And that's just not. <laughs> my brain just wasn't really designed for that, and so he, you know, he thought. It, I think my mom was a little more understanding. Um, when I told her that, you know, that I wanted to move away and, and do this. And, um, but then it's like, oh, then I need money, right? And I didn't have any money. And I'd never thought about taking student loans. That just seemed like a scary thing. I was always really risk adverse when it came to borrowing money. Um, but I was able to talk them both into sort of co-signing like my first loan, you know, mm-hmm. so that I could so I could have get housing and pay the first um, semester. You're not uh, homeless while you're going to school. That's always yeah, a good exa- thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's how. So so if there's anyone out there who's who's, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that that, that would love to to do this this type of work, um, but it just doesn't seem possible. Um, at least it, it didn't seem possible to me. But um, sometimes you just have to get a kick in the pants. Um, mm-hmm from either yourself or from somebody else and, and you just go for it. And so what I think is is truly incredible about that is the fact that I remember um, going into the Maya lab and watching you, you were actually working on your demo reel piece. Okay. Yeah. And and I was, I've been looking forward to talking to you about this because it has, it really has stayed with me as one of the high points of my uh, tenure at Cogswell which is I'm walking in and Ray is sitting there working on something, which instantly catches my eye. And I remember asking you, I'm like, hey, so well, what do you got going on here? And you're like, well, I got this animation. I'm, I'm, I'm using this for my demo reel. And then so I asked if you could play it for me and you started playing it. And all of a sudden I'm watching this, like basically a short animated film going on. And I get verklempt watching it. It basically like... It's like these, it's like these two stuffed animals and one of them needs some of like the, the materials that the other stuffed animal has. And so the other one sacrifices itself basically to make this other stuffed animal happy. Dude, I remember that vividly because at the end of it, I'm just like, dude, this, this, this is, this is why I went to this school to see this kind of stuff. I mean, it, it was, it really, truly was one of the the most moving things. I mean, it, that was like on a Pixar level of storytelling and there, there wasn't any kind of voiceover at all. It, you had some music playing with it. Yeah. Yeah. But just, just the fact that it was a demonstration of your animation skills that was basically almost like pantomiming in a way. Um, but I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm floored that you, were not doing a lot of animation until you came to the school. I mean, that, that just makes that piece that much more impressive in my mind. Yeah, I'm stoked that you that you totally remember that. Um, that's great. That's awesome that you, that you remember. That. Yeah, I did that piece with um, a guy named Dave Russell, um, who had come to the school from Ohio, and mm. we kind of had similar like dreams. You know, you know, we'd we'd, we'd kind of grown up on Star Wars, and uh, and we had kind of similar hopes, I think, and. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that. So that film, so so uh, Dave and I did that film. We we decided instead of taking, I think it's the animation, it was called Character Animation 3 or something. Uh, we decided instead of doing that, we wanted to see if we could get permission to do a short film. 
uh, at school. And that was kind of going against the curriculum because they didn't, at that time, they didn't do like a final project. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure what they do now, but so we got permission to, and we had an idea for that film. We kind of came up with that idea and, um, and then, and we had worked together on, in another class, like on some, some kind of goofy commercial or something. And we worked well together and, um, trusted each other and we and we both had sort of different skill sets in a way and so we they complemented each other and yeah so we just came up with that and yeah and that's kind of I mean that that really that was that film that got us our job so so I've worked with Dave so Dave works at Double Fine also oh wow okay yeah yeah so I got I got the job and then I'd only been there for let's see maybe four months. It might've been even less anyway. And they said, Hey, do you know anyone else that does what you do? You know, that could, cause I, I could do modeling, I could do rigging and then some animation. Mm-hmm. I, I really got hired to do modeling and rigging cause they had enough animators. Um, you know, but you got to get your foot in the door. And so I, and, it's, and you know, I was working with Tim. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, so I said, yeah, I know a guy. And, um, and then he came on and we, you know, he got the job and, and we've worked together ever since. So we've been, we've been friends, um, now let's see, we've been in, at the company for 16 years. 70, so I guess like going on 20 years, about 20 years. We've, That's we've incredible. Friends. You could even say collaborators. We've, we've worked on projects together. Um, we've sat next to each other and yeah, when I moved, from the studio to work remotely, that was, that was, that was tough to, to not have Dave there. You know, you get, you got like, he, he's kind of your partner, you know, he's like your creative partner yeah. um, that you can always trust. And, um, yeah, that creative synergy going between you two. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, I just knew I could always trust him and I knew he was always there for me if I had, um, so, and he's still there. It's just, you know, it's a little different. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. You remember that film. Yeah. It's called threads was the name. Yeah, of it. that's yeah. right. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I I've yeah. been looking forward to, to talking about that again because yeah, I- it was actually, so, so it was actually a, a kid who he didn't, it was a headless kid, which is weird. And then his doll <laughs> and then his, then his like rag doll. That's right. Yeah. 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 But he did, he did, he gave the rag doll, gave him his, gave him his head. Um, but then, then at the end of, the kid gave the head, sewed the head back onto the ragdoll. I mean, it right. sounds kind of lame, but um, no, I'm telling. I think, I'm it, telling I think all it was you. moving for people. Like we, it, it was, it was fun. It was fun to do. Oh yeah, but well, you just, I mean, you, you hit all the feels in the right places. I mean, like you, you see the the sweet nature of, like I said, like just self sacrifice in there, and then you you see the guilt trip that the the other character has as, as they all of a sudden realize that right. The, this other um, friend, or I'm, I'm not sure it, what you like. If it was just like it, like that stuff, or his stuffed animal, or whatever. But you realize he he basically goes through, through this moment of realization. Oh, my, what what has just transpired here? We can't have this. This is horrible. So then, yeah. then you see him, um, you know, repaying or paying it forward, so to speak, uh, back to the other character. I mean, the whole thing. I, like I said, it, it has made it, it made a lasting impression on me personally. Just being in there, and I, and I felt really um, just privileged to just be. I remember, I remember it was just you and I in that Maya lab that one time, and just, I just thought, yeah, that dark is, room, that like, yeah. dark Maya lab, yeah. <laughs> 
I thought it was so cool just to be able to share that work in progress moment. And like, I, I don't know. I, I thought that was, uh, that's awesome. Just great. But it's great. Thanks for, thanks for, uh, remembering that. <laughs> oh yeah. When you were younger and in college honing your skills, can you identify, um, like which materials or people made significant impacts to you leveling up as an animator, so to speak? Yeah. Um, so, you know, let's see. Um, I mean, when, you know, when we started at school, uh, it was, it was, you know, you start out with, with drawing, you know, a lot of drawing classes, right? Um, and there, I did have a teacher who I'm actually still very close with, um, named Susan Harvey. I don't know if you remember Susan. I do. Yeah. Uh, um, and she, because I enjoyed drawing is what I really enjoyed doing. And so she was the, um, she was taught sketching and then she taught life drawing and then painting. Um, and, and maybe that doesn't have a ton to do with animation. I mean, well, life drawing does obviously. Um, but there was, she was just, I don't know. There's just something special about her. There was a kindness to her and, and I, I always loved her classes. Um, and she loved the students and I don't know. I just, I just always enjoyed, um, being in her class and, and being around her and we're actually still, still, uh, still really close. Um, and then I had a teacher, um, named, uh, Will Patius. I don't know if you remember Will or if you was had he the him. light wave teacher. No. Uh, so the light wave teacher, um, I forgot his name. Um, he was great. He was he always really excited, very, um, animated, the name sounds uh, familiar. I, I forgot the name. The guy that you're talking about, I forgot his name. But he, this guy, Will, Will Patius, um, he he actually passed away not very long ago, I, I heard. Um, oh, okay. Which was unfortunate. But he um, just brought, what did he, br- there was just something about him. I don't even know if he was a very good animator, but you know what he was? He was a really good critiquer. He could critique mm. really well. Um, and he took it very seriously uh, and he, and I really appreciated that. Um, and I got a, a lot, a lot from him actually. Um, so we'll, we'll Patius. And then Dave Russell and I started taking kind of supplementary courses, uh, on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, Deanza college, if you, I don't know if you remember Deanza. I college. do. So they had an animation program and they somehow got some big grant, uh, to, for the animation program. And then they started bringing in guest, um, like teachers to, to teach weekend classes. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a guy uh, named Wayne Gilbert, um, who was an instructor at Sheraton and he worked at ILM. And Dave and I started taking courses uh, from him on the weekends. And I think I really got a lot out of, out of, he, he was a traditionally 2D animator um, who'd moved into 3D um, and he just loved animation and I, I loved his I loved his courses. I looked forward to them. They were they were like on Saturdays and Sunday mornings like really early. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Dave would come pick me up in his like this junky little red Daihatsu that he had <laughs> and we, we you know always hoping we'd actually get to the class without that car breaking down. Um, you get there and you're like, it's going to be a good day, right? We made it. It's going to be a good day. We made it, <laughs> we made it uh, to Wayne's class. And I still have a, a book. Um, cause he was all about like, um, it was all about like force and, um, 
what was the other terminology that he used? I, I should pull out his book. I've still got the book that he wrote. He wrote this thin sort of book that's just, um, it's just a great book. Some, you could look up Wayne Gilbert um, and Force, and oh, I forgot the other, but really focused on physics and the physicality mm-hmm. um, of, of the body. And probably one of the one of the best courses that I that I that I took, um, you know. But coming out of school, I still didn't feel like I knew how to animate. You know, I I, I still felt really um, not prepared. Um, it was really on the job when I got surrounded by uh, experienced animators um, that I really learned. You know, I look at my animation then, and I look at my animation now. And not that it's perfect now. I mean, I could you can always improve. Um, there's always room for improvement. But man, it, what a difference! Um, just learning from from people around you. That's probably where I learned most of of my um, you know, I, I, and, and practice. Right? I mean, just just practice. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't think that stops either from um, your your education. I think also too as you move into your different jobs that, that you go into, like for instance, when you joined double fine, I'm sure that you also picked up additional little tidbits of, of gold, so to speak from your, your fellow colleagues. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, you know, cause I worked with, with, um, a few people who had worked at Pixar. Um, so that was actually really nice. They brought, uh, they brought something really special, I think to the animation team. Um, because I mean, it's another level, you know. When you, yeah. when you get up to that level, um, it really is. You're taking it to another level. You're taking it to a level that really um, video games don't allow because you just don't have the budget or the time, right? right? But they were able to bring um, some real expertise um, that they learned um, at Pixar at their at their years there. A couple of them actually ended up going back. Um, but uh, that that was you know that that was great. Um, it was just it's nice to kind of surround yourself around people that are that are better than you. You know when I when I'd look at demo reels, um, I'd always try to find people that were better animators than I was, mm-hmm. um, or that had that I could see had the potential. You know maybe they were really young, but they were they were you know you could really see that they that they had they had it already. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that was important to me to make sure that the people that we that we brought on were 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 had more potential than me, um, or were just better than me. Because then I knew I could I could learn from them. So I because I, I know that can be kind of scary. You know, like, oh, I, if I bring someone in better than I am, am I going to lose my job? You know, <laughs> uh, are they going are they going to eclipse, eclipse me or something? But I never tried to think that way. I always yeah. just tried to think. You know what are they going to bring to the project, and then what what can I what can I learn from them? You know, and hopefully I can teach them something as well. But um, yeah, that, that's always been my philosophy. What critical mistakes do some people make when they're starting out as animators? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, so I, I mean, I can just tell you experience. Let's see, I'm trying to think of the best way to. Mm. Yeah, I got you on that one. <laughs> yeah, you got me on that one. That one I, that one I haven't thought about. Uh, man, I have to think about that because I don't want to give a. I don't want to give. I want to give a good answer, like a true answer. Yeah. 
Um, and that's one that I haven't really haven't really thought about. Um, let me mull that over a little bit, and sure, we can come back to that one. How about we? Uh, yeah, put that in your in the back of your mind, and uh, while you're thinking about that, tell us about the high points of your career so far. Yeah, um, I think so. Working on Broken Age, uh, which was a Kickstarter game that we did, um, I think that was that was probably a real high point for me. That was one that um, I had I had been an animation lead on on Once Upon a Monster, um, but for Broken Age, um, Tim actually came and and kind of tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if I wanted to be the animation lead on that project, and that that was really special to me because that was a I knew that was a special project for him. Uh, it meant a lot for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a new direction that we were going, and that meant a lot that that he he had the the, um, the faith in me that I would I would be able to to pull that off. And, and I knew we were going to be going in a different direction on the animation, mm-hmm. um, and that's always that's scary. Um, but that we that we finished that game, and that I'm really proud of that game. It turned out well. Um, I'm proud of the animation in it. Um, and just was, it was just a, it was stressful, um, really scary at times, you know, because that, that game, we kind of pulled in the fans and we pulled, we kind of opened up the, uh, um, kind of the, the secret box. We let everybody in to, to see <laughs> how, how, you know, as Tim would say, the, how the sausage is made, you know, how the sausage is made. That's yeah, cool. That's what he said. And, you know, and so it was, it was, the whole thing was documented as well. So we, there's a whole documentary about it. If anyone's interested, anyone that's like interested in the, in ga- the game industry and how video games are made, um, they should watch uh, um, uh, The Double Fine Adventure. Um, mm. And it's like a 20-part documentary series. Is that and just so on it, YouTube or? Yeah, I think you can watch it on YouTube for free, actually, um, which is... Which is crazy because it's really super professional. Two player productions did it. Um, it's really pretty riveting, and it pulls. It'll really pull you in um, because we kind of really showed the the great things that happen in video games and the horrible things that happen. And um, and so there's some really uh, high points during it, and there's some really low points. And um, and but but I'm really proud of that. I'm proud that we that I got through it. And uh, and I feel like I, I'm a better animator. I feel like I'm a, a better manager and probably just a better better person mm-hmm. um, after that experience. Um, so that that was definitely a high point. Um, let's see. I mean, Brutal Legend is 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 a game that I I really loved working on that game. I think because I, I enjoy heavy metal and it's like it's just all heavy metal. I feel bad for the people that worked on it that don't that maybe really dislike heavy metal. <laughs> they listen to Kenny G or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's tough for them. So I'm kind of lucky that, that it was already, I was a fan already. And, um, uh, and, and it was just, just completely pulled into that world. Um, that, that was a lot of fun to work on. Um, we had a large animation team, um, in the studio. I think we had, Maybe eight animators or nine. That was the, that's which was really big for us. Wow! Um, so that was really that was really fun. Like to have a large animation team like that. Um, we had a couple of people from Pixar that came and worked on that one, um, and that was really fun to to you know just to learn from them. Um, so that that was definitely a high point. Um, 
trying to think of anything else that, I mean, I've just been, I've been lucky. Um, I've been lucky to, to work on projects that I'm, that I really am interested in. Cause I know that's not for every, I know that not everyone has been able to do that. And, um, um, and I think I've just been lucky to, to, to be a, at a company like Double Fine and to work with someone like Tim, because, uh, I just know that there's going to be challenges and that's good, right? I mean, you, you, you want to be a little scared, um, because I think you're probably not progressing if you're not, um, nervous or worried, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which those are not situations we'd like to be in, but I think that it's important to be in those situations because I think that that's how you're going to grow as a, as a, as a person, Mm -hmm. um, for sure is, is to, to take things on that you are not sure about. Um, and, and I think that's kind of how Tim is, uh, because he definitely takes things on that are unique and, um, and, and we don't know how it's going to turn out like with broken age or that, you know, that, that Kickstarter game, he had no idea what he wanted to make. Um, but he, he, and he wanted the public or at least the fans to see that so they could actually see the entire process going from nothing to a small seed to, you know, a story, um, to an entire game. Mm -hmm. Um, that's terrifying. And then have the whole thing filmed and put out there to the public. I mean, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> so, but that was a high, that, that was a high point working on that, working on that game for sure. What is it like to work for Tim Schafer? The Tim Schafer. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I think, uh, you know, I've worked with him a long time now, so I guess it's been 16 years going on 17 years. Um, so I do, uh, as far as the way he works, I know how I know how he works. Um, I kind of know what to expect. I don't know what ideas are going to come out of his head, um, but he, he's he's a he's a good person, and that that's that's really nice um, to to have. He's a good person. He cares about about people. Um, he's he is a, I mean, I, I, I don't use this term very often, but he really is, and it is kind of cliche, but he is a creative genius. I consider him a creative genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be difficult sometimes, right? Because um, sometimes it's hard to turn that hose off, you know, that creative hose. Mm-hmm. Like, like I always imagine, I, I see those, those images of, uh, you know, you see like on YouTube, the firefighters trying to control the, the fire hoses that are out of control and they're jumping <laughs> on it. And they're trying. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like, I, sometimes I feel like that. Tim's the fire hose and then we're just like, you know, <laughs> me and the producers are like jumping on it, trying to control the, you know, the spewing of creativity. <laughs> uh-huh. that's, that's a great analogy. Um, and it does feel like that sometimes. And he knows what he wants and... Uh, and there's usually some kind of sacrifice to get there. Um, but the nice thing is you, you, you always want to, he's the kind of person that you really want to please, like creatively. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want to do your best work because you want to make him happy, which is really kind of, kind of weird. Um, I remember on, on Psychonauts, you know, he would, he would have an idea and he wouldn't want to tell the producer and so he would just come directly to, to the programmer <laughs> or the artist and like say, hey, can you, 
can you just put this in? You know, I really want this in. Um, you know, knowing that it was going to be difficult, it's probably gonna, you might have to work late, and and uh-huh. and and you might think that you'd get mad at the person for that, but you but you just end up doing it because you you know that it's the right decision. I trust him now, like I totally trust him because I remember on Psychonauts there, I was just like, what is he? Why are we wasting our time on these all these little these little things, these little details, these little side things, you know? Hardly anyone's gonna gonna see these things. Um, you know, like oh, the game's done. You know, the game is you've completed the the missions. Why why are we doing this whole another um, set of animation so that someone can actually go back in after the game is completely finished and see these you know these little scenarios? Um, but but now I realize that that's what makes those games so special. Yeah, it's it's those little details um, that you know maybe. 20% of the people will see it, but those 20%, that 20% are, will be hooked. Like they'll be the biggest fans that you'll ever have because you've added those, those little, um, those little gems for them. And, you know, and those are, those are things that Tim finds important. And, um, and now I, I, tr- I trust him, um, with those, even though I know it's, you it might mean maybe some late nights or something, but, um, but I know that it's good. It'll pay off. Well, I think it's it's a part of his signature too. Like like his games are very recognizable. Like any, anytime I see a, a, one of his games comes out, I, I look at it and it's like, yeah, that's that is a Tim Schafer game. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely has humor. Uh, definitely um, story story driven. Um, puzzles oftentimes, mm-hmm. and 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 great characters in a great world. Um, you know, and, and I mentioned that I was always like, oh, I want to go into film, you know, I want to go into film and, um, but it's kind of like working on, a. I, I don't want to say it's like working on a film, but, but you are working on a very story driven type of narrative game. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and I, I love that, you know, lots of, lots of cinematics. Um, I love when the, when the scripts come. Like just today, we we went through a, a reading of some some new uh, dialogue for Psychonauts two, and and I was just like chuckling, you know, the whole way through it. Like, like it's really exciting to get that. Who's and, the writer? A uh, Tim. Tim. Oh, Tim does all the writing. He does all so, the scripts. Yeah. So so he, with Psychonauts one, um, Tim and Eric Wolpa. I don't know if you know who Eric Wolpa is. Um, he was uh, one of the. He wrote. Most of the dialogue for Portal. Um, I love that game. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it was Portal Two. Also, I don't remember. But um, anyway, really funny, super funny guy. Um, so, so the two of them uh, collaborated on on the writing on Psychonauts, um, the first one. Uh, but then Tim has done all the writing for all of his games um, up to this point. So okay. Yeah, so so with Psychonauts two, we have a um, a project lead, uh, which is which is not Tim. Um, he's always been the project lead before, but um, uh, we have a, we have a new a new guy that's come in um, to be the project lead. But then Tim is still sort of the um, what would you call him? Um, the matriarch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know he 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 still controls the Psychonauts world, and he does all the writing. So, yeah. so the story is, is, is his with some collaboration, um, but the story and the characters are, are, is what he, is what he, he's bringing to it. So 
I I've watched a couple of the uh, the V docs that have yeah. been put out, and it's it is pretty fascinating to just watch him as he's talking about whether it's reminiscing about an older game or if he's talking about the game industry in general. There's a lot going on in that head of his, and I think that that is a very rare thing to find. I think that there are folks who are like that where you, I mean, it's like you said, the whole fire hose analogy totally makes sense because I could see him constantly coming up with an idea after an idea, after an idea, like building upon an initial uh, brainstorm that he had and just doing concept ideation and doing iteration after iteration after that. So um, it's cool to hear you talk about that just because it sounds like he just has um, just this wealth of creativity. Yeah, it, it's it's fun. It's fun to be in, in meetings with him. Um, that are if, if they're if they're meetings that are, um, you know, like you said, ideation. You know, if you're if, if it's a meeting that's just coming up with ideas, um, that's when he's super engaged um, in the meeting. You know, um, if you're you know talking about finance or something, he's probably like, oh, you know, he has to do it because he's the president of the company. But um, but what he really loves is when he can you know really just. And he loves to collaborate, you know, on ideas with people. He's not—he's not the type that will just—I um, mean, he'll lock himself away to write dialogue, but to actually come up with with ideas of for the world um, or for puzzles, um, he loves—he loves collaboration, and that, that that makes it a lot of fun to work at a company like that. Um, yeah, that that that's a lot of fun. Uh, when we worked on Rhombus of Ruin, Psychonauts in the Rhombus of Ruin, I loved those those design meetings. They were really fun to fun to be in. Um, because you, you really felt like you could just say whatever you wanted, um, and you knew that you knew that you were going to come out of there with some with some cool ideas, and that hopefully a little piece of yours is is still in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but yeah, but but he's also just a, just a good person. I think good human being, um, which is which is nice to nice to have. <laughs> Shifting the focus back over to. Um just your animating style, how would you yeah. describe your animating style or your methodology, how you approach your, your day-to-day tasks of animating? Yeah. Um, for me, so I don't, I don't take a lot of, um, footage. I don't take a lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of people like to record themselves and, and stuff. I, 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 you know, I'll, I'll act things out. Um, just I'll stand up and I'll act things out and I will, I'll just kind of feel it. Like, I don't know what it is. I, and, and I'm sure most animators are like this, but I just, I just, I'm trying to make it feel natural. I'm like, okay, does this feel natural? Does this, is this arm movement natural? Where would I put my arm here? You know, and, and I'll just kind of go through those motions and until I get something that really feels like, um, that's, that feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do try to do gags cause I mean, I work for a company where our games uh, are very, um, funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always enjoy making Tim laugh. Um, especially like little, I like to put little, like if I'm doing a cinematic and I, I think I learned this from the, from probably from the Muppets. This is like Jim Henson's thing. I think like weird background things that are going on, you know, like things that are not, um, 
that don't really pertain to what's going on in the foreground, but it's just kind of a weird thing that's happening behind. Like you have to look for it, but if you see it, you're like, oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah, just like some goofy thing that's going on back there. Um, that that I, I, I like to sneak those things in when I can, and I, and I appreciate that stuff. Because not everyone will see it, but the one, people that do see it, I think they, they get a laugh out of it. Um, um, you know, methodology... I'll really, I'll, I'll sit for a while and just kind of think things through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just do a, do a quick blocking. I mean, pretty standard what, what most animators do probably, you know, I'll do a quick blocking pass. And then, um, I, I do sometimes start adding some detail earlier than I should. So I think this goes back to when I was a, you know, when I was a kid and I would draw and I don't know if Rusty, I don't know how much you probably enjoyed art. I'm assuming that's why you ended up at, at Cogswell. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember that I would, <laughs> I would focus in on like the eyeballs. And so, I'd, <laughs> so I would like, I would like, you know, render out these beautiful eyes. When I say render out, you know, drawing, you know, yeah. pencil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I would, then I would go, oh, okay, now I'm going to do the head. And I'd realize, oh man, the eyes aren't in the right positions, you know, <laughs> like, but I've spent all this time on the eyeballs and then I have to go and try and erase, you know, once you've, once you've done these dark pencil marks, you can't erase it, you know, exactly. it's always going to show up. And sometimes I do do that in animation. I'll, I'll get, I'll get hung up on something and I'll, you know, bef- before I've, I've got the, the whole thing blocked out, you know, I'll like get excited and then I'll put all this detail somewhere where I, where I shouldn't. So that's something, don't do that. I just tell people it's, it's a bad habit. And I always do think that maybe that comes from back in my early days of drawing, um, getting hung up on something and just focusing on it too early. You know, you really need to sketch the thing out. Um, and then, you know, then start slowly adding, you know, the texture and the detail uh, to it. Same, same with animation. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. And the reason the reason why I asked that question in the first place was just because at Double Fine, all of your characters are memorable in terms of their silhouette, their archetype, the way yeah. that the you know the the proportions are intentionally exaggerated for a lot of characters. And so I was the reason why I asked is I was just curious do you, when you when you look at a character for the first time, like when you were working on Psychonauts, for example, and, and you're looking at Raz, like were there certain parts to him that that kind of spoke to you first and got you inspired? Like how exactly would his walk cycle be versus how would his idle animation be versus his attack yeah. animation? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Um, so. Yeah, so so our character designs, at least for at least for Psychonauts, um, and for for a lot of our our worlds still are designed by Scott Campbell. Um, he'll he'll do the uh, he'll do this character designs. He does he does contract work with us now, um, but and you know really extreme, sometimes extreme proportions, uh, really asymmetrical a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really fun characters to animate, but sometimes kind of hard to figure out. Um, like one example is uh, Mia. I don't know if you remember Mia. So Mia was um, some people call her Mila, but uh, her <laughs> name's Mia. So she's a she's a psychonaut. Um, she's got you know at least super long arms and super long fingers. So really weird proportions. 
and really challenging to animate because she's just not your not a not standard type of type of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 it does take a lot of sort of planning and. Um, and a lot of rework, really, with 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 her. Um, but one thing I'll do is I will think about the nice thing about working with on Tim's games is he really has backstories to to most of his characters, um, so you can ask him about them. And um, let's say someone like Raz, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we know Raz uh, is in the he he comes from a circus family, right? Mm-hmm. And so he comes from a family of showmen, and so. So you're gonna be probably gonna have that in, even in, even in his idols, right? He he's probably gonna be have somewhat of a some showmanship, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to animate his dad, um, Augustus, and I think that Augustus would always have a little bit of showmanship uh, in his moves, and um, someone like Coach. Who, I don't know if you remember Coach Oleander. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, really. You know, short guy, always wanted to be in the military, somewhat self-conscious, um, <laughs> a little bit of a, of a of a failure, and almost like overconfident. Uh-huh. You know, so so you you have sort of these um, you have these stories that you can you can think about, you know, and then you can try and you can try and build those emotions into even into just their breathing you know, how they stand, uh, you know, how their like default idol pose is. Um, we, we find that really important and we try, and we try to, to explore that, um, before we move on and actually start doing like a full animation set on a character. We really try to explore where that character has come from. And, and I think it's really helpful. I think it's really mm-hmm. helpful. I think it, it helps bring the, the personality out, uh, to the player, uh, without them even having to, to say anything. So I, I hope it comes through. Oh, I, th- I, I uh, yeah, I will tell you. Yes, it does. Because <laughs> like, and I think that's one of the biggest things about um, a lot of the games that, especially from Double Fine, um, it makes complete sense when you talk about Tim Schafer actually providing some sort of backstory to each character. Why, why that character exists? What is the purpose of that, of this particular character? And I could completely see for someone like yourself as an animator that acts as a springboard creatively for you to be able to all of a sudden go, okay, I know that based off of this backstory that this character, like you said, like he'll have an, uh, an idle animation that will probably ac- accentuate these parts more than the other parts versus a, a character in within the same game that perhaps will have more of the opposite um, parts that are being accentuated more than others and that sort of thing. And I think that's kind of one of the, the beauty of animation really is just you, you you're handed kind of a, a, a kind of a laundry list synopsis of, okay, there he have this character. This is the kind of uh, trials and tribulations they've been through as a result. Maybe the character has been maimed or maybe uh, the character is socially awkward and has some sort of weird tick, you know, some sort of physical yeah. tick that they do or something. And so as a result, then you will just all of a sudden go, oh man, it'd be sweet if we did this here. And then we yeah. add this in or there. And yeah. Um, in terms yeah. of the animation, like, oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Finish what you're saying. You finish your thought. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say in terms of, of the animations, it must be just a, 
just a field day for you to be able to go back and forth, not only with the characters, but also even I'm sure he has plenty of um, information, like just creative information for the environments. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can learn a lot. Cause I mean, the worlds are, are unique and uh, you know, I, that, that's something I should mention with, we, we were talking earlier about working with Tim and what, what that's like. Uh, he really enjoys animation. Um, he, he likes to watch animation and um, he, and that's, that's great. Like that's really nice to um, have the creative lead being, uh, having a, a real vested interest in, you know, in what you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I, I love having that. Like some people maybe want to be left alone, but, um, I love that he, that he wants to give input. Um, and I trust his input cause he's come up with these characters, right? They're his, they've come out of his head. Um, and I, I was mentioning, you, you know, we were talking about having sort of these backstories and just the other day, um, for Psychonauts 2, I was reading through uh, a character doc that he had written. Um, and I, I won't go into detail about it, um, but, you know, it was, it was four pages of, of this particular character's um, backstory, you know, their likes and dislikes and um, their family situation. And, you know, every, just, you know, everything you'd kind of need to know about a person. Uh, and that was so amazing to have. And then to be able to start thinking about, okay, how would, you know, what is this person's confidence level like at this point? Or, um, you know, you know, how would they stand? Uh, you know, would they, would they be slumped over? Would they be confident? You know, they, it was just, it was just like a, this little treasure trove of, of nuggets that you could, that you could, um, call on, um, to come up with, with an idea, uh, for, for a character's, um, even the way the character walks, right. Or the way the character runs. Um, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a real gift to have that. Yeah. A question I have, it's more of a technical question. I know that um, last time I saw you, you were working in Maya. Um, what um, software packages are, are you using currently or do you love to use while you're um, doing your day-to-day work? Yeah, I mean, um, Maya is is still sort of, it's the standard or that, that we use. Um, I mean, we have some proprietary, well, I mean, there, there's some in-house tools, like animation tools. We call it the animation toolbox. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but it just has, it just little helps. It just has some helps for us to, to, to fix things or to, uh, to edit things more quickly. Um, but, but, but it's, it's pretty standard, uh, version of Maya that, that we still animate with. Um, as far as the engine goes, we've, we've switched over to Unreal. Um, we used to always build our own engines. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last game that we, Headlander, that came out, um, that was a game that Lee Petty led. That was the last game that we used our, what's called our Buddha engine, which was the engine that was designed for Brutal Legend. Okay. And then when we made Psychonauts in the Rhombus of Ruin, that's the first game that we used the Unreal engine. So, um, so for, you know, hooking up animation, it's actually really nice, um, it has these really nice blend spaces that you can, you know, put all of your, your locomotion in and you can make adjustments pretty easily. Um, so for, for, for animators, it, it, um, using Unreal has, has been a, has been really nice. Um, I know for programmers, it can be a little more difficult, um, because you're dealing with someone else's engine, you know, mm-hmm. um, for engineers, but 
you know, for artists, it's, it's been nice. So we, we do have that now um, that we're using. But my day-to-day is, is, uh, is Maya. Um, we just started using a, um, oh, I got to remember the name of it. It's a, it's a, oh, I should have written it down. Um, it's a program that we just started using. We've only used it once um, for doing critiques, animation critiques. Okay. Oh, I wish I could remember the the name of it. Um, maybe I'll have to tell you later, and then you can mention it. Um, yeah, I forgot the name of it. Anyway, because we we've just started <laughs> using it, but it's 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 basically a way that um, we can upload all of our animation and then um, do drawovers um, and and then take notes. You know, usually I'm always just because I work remotely, especially. Um, you know, they'll open up an animation file, then I'll open up the same file, then we'll kind of watch it at the same time, and then. And then I'll, you know, if, if, if someone wants to give some feedback, they'll either verbally do it or I see them kind of act it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're like, oh, I, you got a screen share. I, I can't see because I'm screen sharing. Can you turn that off so I can see what you're doing? And it's a little bit of a pain. So now we have this, this program that we use where you can, um, you can just draw right on top of each frame, you know, whichever frame you, you want to change or, um, or just type in some notes. And, um, and then you, it syncs uh, what I'm looking at because it, it's... it's um, I don't know, is that HTML5 or something? It, so, so it runs through the browser. Hmm. And so the, uh, so I can see what they're drawing. They can see what I'm drawing. Um, so that, that's been, for the one time that we've used it, um, it's been really helpful. And so I, I think that we're going to be using that going forward. Um, but that's just like a third-party, you know, animation critique tool um, is, is what that is. Um, but, but Maya is the, the, uh, the, what we use every day. Yeah, it's kind of the go-to software. Yeah. Yeah. I've been using that since, you know, I mean, when we were at Cogswell, I remember when Maya one came out, um, cause it was, <laughs> it was, it was power animator before that, you know, it was alias power animator. Alias and, Wavefront. Oh my yeah, gosh, alias Wavefront. Yeah. Yeah. Power animator. It ran on those, um, those, I think it was those SGI machines. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, and then I remember when Maya came out for N for NT you know, mm-hmm. remember for Windows NT, but it was crashing all the time, and it was it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't very good. Um, yeah, so we're still using it, and and I, I like Maya. I mean, it's a powerful program. I I don't I don't dig into uh, all of the options that it has. Um, I don't know if it makes you a better animator or not. I I um, I probably should dig into some. I don't use layers that often. Animation layers. Um, We've had some problems exporting out, and then like one of the layers doesn't export out, and then we can't. So then we're like missing half our animation. So, you know, sometimes I'm 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 risk averse, and so if I have a have trouble with it once, I don't want to use it again. Once in a while, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. As the animation lead, um, can you describe a bit of your process for for getting things done with your team? I know that um, you know, as a lead, you have to uh, find a way to generate that synergy. Uh, with your fellow animators, can you describe a bit about that? Yeah, so I should I should just clarify at this point. So I was the the studio animation lead, and I guess technically, I mean that's probably still my title. Um, but since since moving, since I since I went remote, um, I'm not the so I'm not the animation lead on Psychonauts two. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, um, because I, I said, yeah, there's no way that I can do that and not be in the studio. You know, you really need somebody there um, 
who's who's working directly with everybody can be in all the meetings. Um, so so I've just taken a role as just as a, as a senior animator. What I am doing is I'm is I'm leading the cinematics uh, team. Oh, okay, right on. Um, so why, when I told our new lead, our new animation lead on Psychonauts, I, you know, I said, well, if you'd like, I can take the cinematics on that way you can kind of focus, um, on the gameplay and, you know, you can go to all the meetings that I don't have to go to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I can, you know, so, but, but I can talk to you a little bit about when I was, um, the animation lead. Um, yeah, please do. Uh, so, so tell me again, the, the, the specific question, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I was just curious about like, at, you know, as um, you were in the position of being an animation lead, what's your process for for getting things done on your team in terms of just how you create that synergy yeah. with your fellow animators, your your kind of your your pipeline process, etc. Yeah, I mean, for starters, I try to I try to understand what the the skill set you know because everybody's really good at certain things, right? Um, even in animation, some, someone might be really good at uh, subtle motion, someone might be really good at fast, um, explosive type of animation. And I try to you know, know what the animators um, are good at and what they enjoy. And so I try to give tasks out um, Based on what I th- I think that they will they will um, like to to work on, um, I try to be really conscious of that and talk to each animator about it. Uh, and sometimes that means that the lead has to take on the stuff that they don't want to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's just that's just kind of part of part of the job. You know, you kind of because you're 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 really trying to make those animators feel, you know, you want them to, to love their job and you want them to enjoy what they're doing every day. I mean, you can't always give them everything that they want, but you, but you, you try to do that. Uh, or at least I, I would try to do that, um, as much as, as much as I could. Um, let's see, as far as I'm just trying to think of what, what information would be helpful here. Um, like if you had a, like let's say like you you receive your your latest task of what it is that you have to animate. Um, can you describe a bit of like do you do you have kind of a creative powwow where you you kind of just meet up with your team and and you go over just different types of ideas of of how characters would behave or do, like I know that you mentioned a little bit earlier about how sometimes someone will act something out and that that kind of caught my attention there. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes what we would do is if we had a, a new character is we'll do a, a character kickoff meeting mm-hmm. and we'll do that with the animators. Um, and then we'll do it with Tim and just kind of ask any questions that we might. And we'll also have the, uh, the character, um, uh, who's going to do the, the rig or who has done the rig, you know, or is working on it. Um, and the rig just, everybody knows is just the, like the, the bones and the controls, you know, that go, that go inside of the character. Um, we'll have all those people present, so that we can start talking about what this what this character does. Uh, sometimes we'll have a designer there so that we can talk about what are the what are going to be the needs of this of this character. Mm-hmm. So an example would be: all right, um, we have this this character who needs what we would call a move set or a basic animation set, and so that would be that would consist of a walk or a run and a run, a breathe, uh, what we call a fidget, 
which is, you know, like, you know, whatever, maybe it's like scratching their nose or, um, shifting their <laughs> weight, you know, so uh-huh. we'll do, we'll do a couple of those, of those fidgets. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and, and, and we'll, we'll usually just, sometimes we'll explore that together. Um, sometimes we'll just explore it on our own and then we'll just show the team. We do, we do what's called weeklies. Um, some call it dailies, you know, if they actually show their work every day, but we do it every week. So once a week, um, we gather as an animation team and, um, and we go through all of the animation, uh, that's been done in that week and, mm-hmm. and do the critiques and then give feedback. Um, um, do you ever do any whiteboarding sessions too, where like you're just doing these super fast gesture drawings and you're showing kind of a, here's his beginning state and here's his in-between state. Here's his, uh, where he ends up kind of thing. Not really. I mean, we will do, um, what we do now is, you know, now that we have this, um, this program that we can draw right on top of the character, um, we will, we'll do that. Um, sometimes we'll do some storyboards if it's a, if it's a cinematic, um, we won't, always do storyboards if there's, if there's time or if there's not time, it just depends. You, you, you work kind of lean. Um, and so you usually just start with, um, so let's say, so I've worked with outsourcers quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what I would do in that case is I would, um, we, we'd get the dialogue and then, uh, they'd, they'd get the dialogue recorded and then I would then create just a, a 3d layout, which is, you know, a, I mean, it's just so your audience knows. They, they may know all this already, but, you know, it's it's basically all of your cameras with all of your characters and they're placed in the right right positions. The dialogue is all timed out. Um, and then we'd sit together as a team with Tim there and we'd show him these um, these layouts to make sure that the story is being told the way that, that he wants it to be told. And then he gives any feedback that he has. And then I'll go and make those changes before we, we ship it to an outsourcing group. So they would get this layout that has the characters in the frame where they're supposed to be or going in and out of the frame the way they're supposed to. The timing, the general timing is there. The timing of the dialogue is all there. Um, and then uh, they can get started uh, and they'll... And what we usually do is with um, the animators in-house and or outside, you know, the outsourcing, is we'll have them take it to a blocking stage, um, not put any real detail so that then we can critique it at that point before they get mm-hmm. too far. You know, because you don't want to get too far and then... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a disaster if you take it all the way to final without showing anybody. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that, so that, that, that can be bad. So we, we try to make sure that we see it, um, um, uh, before it gets too far, you know, uh, you know, as the lead, um, you know, really I was there, you know, I was just there to, as, as a support, um, I was there to help, you know, track things as there to make sure that, that everybody knew, um, what they were supposed to be doing. Nobody was lost or, you know, or confused or, or idle. Uh, I, I tried to always be collaborative, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and like I mentioned before, I always tried to, I always tried to hire animators, um, that were either better than I was, um, or, or a young animator that's up and coming, very talented. Um, and, uh, and that made my job easy, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's really if you, if you hire the right people, um, it's it's a it's a it's not it's not that hard leading leading a group. But um, 
you know, I, I was kind of, you know, when Tim needed to meet, I would, I would meet with Tim um, directly and then I would pass, you know, take notes, pass that information down to the team if, if the whole team couldn't be there. Um, but, I, but I always like to include the entire team um, in, the, in the weeklies um, with Tim there. I think that's, that's the most helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, that, way, that way they can ask the question, you know, instead of me going back and asking Tim the question that they might have. You know, I, that's, that's weird. And, and we're a small enough company that I, I don't think that that's necessary. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you had a large team of, you know, 30 animators or 40 animators, I, I can see where that would be a nightmare for a director. But we're, we're small enough that, that we don't need to do that. Transitioning into um, more about Psychonauts 2, I know that um, the amount of information you're allowed to disclose is is uh, pretty thin at this point because you guys are still very much in production on the game. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm going to attempt to, a- to ask you high-level questions and perhaps sure. we can get a little bit things here and there. Um, so one of the things that I thought was super cool that I wanted to talk about was the fact that this game was made possible buy pledges from the global gaming community on fig.co. You just do a search for, I think it was Psychonauts, which um, to date, I looked on there, it's generated $3.8 million. um, And that by itself is just an incredible feat because the gaming industry, like typically when you have um, more established gaming studios, I've never really seen this type of approach before. I mean, obviously, if you're an, more of an indie developer, I think that 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 was kind of more the case. But even so, I think that this this whole approach is really brilliant because, I mean, it almost sounds like it's helping to pave the way in terms of, of the development cycle of the game itself. But it makes me wonder, too, if it will also help with the publishing part of it. Yeah, so... I mean, we so we we started the crowdfunding thing with um, with uh, Broken Age, um, and I think that was you know that was so that was you know with, with this one we had we actually had a, a a property right we had an IP that people knew and and a lot of people loved the first game. Um, the first time we did it, we didn't have anything right. We just had the the studio and we had Tim um, saying, "Hey, we want to make an adventure game." Who, who wants to help us make this adventure game, right? Who wants this one? Yeah. Right, right. And, you know, and that one raised, I think we raised $3.4 million for that. Okay. Um, now, that did not cover all the development costs. Um, we ended up uh, having to cover quite a bit of that out of the studios, you know, um, just profits from other games. Um, but, but that was kind of an eye-opener um, for the studio to say, hey, you know, because we've, we, you know, we've worked with publishers. We, you know, we generally work with publishers, um, and um, and we've had ups and downs, um, right? I mean, we, Psychonauts uh, was canceled, mm-hmm. um, and then then picked up by by another public, but very scary, very very scary um, moments. You know, where we we thought that was it. You know, we thought that was it for the whole company, um, and then Brutal Legend, same thing. Brutal Legend got canceled. Um, and we've had other games get canceled, unannounced games get canceled. And then we even had to have layoffs once, um, because of a, a large, pretty large game got canceled by the publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Tim was just kind of like, Hey, is there another way that we can do this or at least partially do this, you know, and, and also, um, have get fans to have a vested interest in it. So, 
So with Fig, um, it's a little bit different because it's crowdfunding, but but people can actually invest in the game. They can invest relatively uh, relatively small um, investments and, and actually be uh, you know. And, and if there's profits, they can actually receive profits out of the game. Oh, which, sweet! Which is pretty crazy. Um, but that's so. So you can you can go two ways. You can either be like more like a Kickstarter style, where you're like, I just want to. I just want to support the game. I'm going to, you know, throw in my $25 or whatever, you know, or whatever it is. Um, or you can, I forgot what the cutoff is for the investment. I forgot what it is. But, you know, but you can say, hey, I actually want to be a small investor or a large investor if you wanted to. And you would actually receive some royalties um, off the game. So so this is the first time that we've done a game with, with this model. Um, and... Uh, you know, and that actually that that helped us get uh, the game going. I mean, that's um, we we do have a publisher now, um, uh, who's who's so we have a publishing partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this crowdfunding, and then we also have which which we knew we'd we'd probably need a publishing partner because with video games and crowdfunding, I mean, they're just for a large, relatively large game like Psychonauts, you just can't, you still can't raise the kind of um, cash that you would need to do a full blown, um, you know, 3d platformer, right. um, a, a large, you know, a pretty large game. And so we do have a publishing partner now, um, to, to, to help with that. But, um, but, but then we have these, you know, these backers and these investors, um, who are, who are vested in it and, um, and it's, it's cool. I mean, with, with, with Broken Age, we really opened it up and we even had like these backer forums that just only backers could come into and we'd post stuff. They could ask questions, you know, they could, um, they could participate in the development of the game in, in, in a, in a small way. Um, this time around that, that was this time around, I think we've, we, because now we have a publishing partner also, um, we haven't really opened it up as much. Um, and we're showing some early stuff, though. We're showing some pretty early uh, levels and things like that. Um, but we're doing it a little bit different, a little more closed door than than before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it, it's exciting. It's kind of um, it's just a different way of doing it. Well, and uh, you get in touch with your fans too. I mean, the yeah. fact that I, I was looking on there, I think. There are somewhere in, I think I want to say over 24,000 people have come forward and uh, made that 3.8 million a reality. And I think that that's just got to be a validating moment for, for everyone at Double Fine to be able to see that and be like, yeah, wow, okay, we're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because we, you know, we, we did it once and, um, this is like the third, the third game that we've crowdfunded, uh, Massive Chalice was also, um, uh, crowdfunded. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is nice, um, to have that, but it's also, it's, it's risky too, right? Because you have these fans who have now, who are, who've put money in, you know, their hard earned money. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and some people, you know, that's a real stretch. Even $25, um, can be difficult and can be a a sacrifice uh, for them. And, and they, some of them expect, a lot out from that, you know, and so you 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 definitely are uh, taking somewhat of a risk, um, but I, I think it's a risk worth worth taking, and I guess the fans feel that way as well. So yeah, 
um, that, that makes it fun. In terms of the folks who have not played Psychonauts, could you give the listeners a synopsis of what the first Psychonauts game was about? And then yeah. if you can, where Psychonauts 2 begins? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Psychonauts um, is a story of this uh, boy. I think he's 10. I hope I got that right. He's 10 or 11. <laughs> I should know that by now. I was going to say, come on, Ray. I know the age, though. The age, I always, I get, you know. Um, and he uh, was lived with a, he had a circus family, and uh, he has these psychic powers, and he realized he has these powers, but his dad is, like, super against, you know, this, this, this weird ability that he has. And he ends up finding out about this... Um, there's, there's this organization called the Psychonauts, and he knows about it because he reads these these comic books, or I don't know if you'd call them comic books, but they're these sort of serials that he that he reads called Psychic Avengers. So he, he's learned about this this organization, and then he finds out about this camp that uh, you can go to. Kids with psychic powers can go to to learn um, to be a psychonaut and to sort of hone these psychic abilities. So he he ends up escaping his leaving his family in the circus and ends up at this, this camp. Um, and then once he's there, um, he starts, uh, realizing that there's some really pretty dark things that are going on, um, at this, at this camp. Um, and so, so, uh, Raz sort of starts uncovering, um, this, this, these sort of diabolical plan that, um, that this particular guy, um, is trying to implement, and he does this through you know you, you, as you wander around, you meet all these 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 interesting people, and a lot of them are somewhat um, they've got issues like mental psychological issues, um, and you have the ability or you're taught when you're at this camp that you can actually jump into these people's minds, and so you you so you end up jumping into these different people's. Uh, minds that have all kinds of weird things going on with them and you get to explore their, uh, their sort of psyche and you get and you're sort of solving, you're finding clues and you're solving puzzles. Um, each time you go into one of these, one of these minds. Um, and so, uh, anyway, if you haven't played the game, I don't want to spoil it for you, but, uh, Raz lives through the experience. He survives. <laughs> he survives. Um, <laughs> He becomes a psychonaut, and um, at the end, see, I don't know how much I want to give away. Yeah, it's been so. I just at the end of the game, <laughs> you end up uh, flying off on the psychonauts' jet with with the actual psychonauts, uh, Mia, Sasha, and and Coach, and and Lily, who's kind of the love interest um, mm-hmm. in this in the game, and then. Uh, where Psychonauts in the Rhombus of Ruin picks up, which is the PSVR game that I, that I was talking about earlier, um, that picks up right where Psychonauts 1 ended, in the jet. So when the, when the game starts, you're actually in a jet, mm-hmm. in, that, in, that, uh, in that jet that you left. Oh, cool. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but you don't have to have, you don't need to have, you will not have needed to play... Psychonauts in the Rhombus of Ruin to get what's going on in the beginning of Psychonauts 2. Okay. So, but there, there was this mission. So when, when Psychonauts 1 ended, there's this mission where they come and they say, hey, 
uh, Lily, who's that love interest, her dad, Truman, has been kidnapped. And and you're like, oh, we need to go save him. So that's when Psychonauts 1 ends. Ends on this like kind of cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. You, you've taken off to go go on this your first mission as a Psychonaut. And that mission is uh, the Rhombus of Ruin. Okay, so that's the mission that you... you so you end up accomplishing that mission, which is the PSVR game. And then Psychonauts 2 t- picks up right after you've accomplished that mission, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you're, so that mission ends on the jet. Um, you, 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 you've, you've finished, you've escaped um, on this jet again, and Psychonauts 2 picks up on that jet, if that makes sense. As well it should. Yeah, and so you're headed, you're headed to the Psychonauts headquarters, which you've never seen the Psychonauts headquarters before. Um, because you've always just been in camp, right? You've either been in camp, you've been in an insane, an insane asylum, um, or you've been in people's minds. And so this is your first time now actually going uh, to the Psychonauts headquarters, um, and that's where Psychonauts 2 um, will, will pick up. That's super cool. I, and I've actually watched um, some of the, the videos at the, the fig.co Psychonauts page, Oh, it looks so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, so, yeah, we, we, we showed the first uh, level, the quarry level, which is, uh-huh. which, is, which is on the outside of the Psychonauts headquarters. So there's this big sort of quarry that they've dug out, and that's where the... Because um, the Psychonauts have been around a really long time, and so it's kind of like, you know, they, they've kind of, as, as, as the, the organization has evolved, they've kind of built, they've just sort of built up on top of it, you know, um, so you have kind of the old and you have the new. And so, um, so yeah, you get to, you get to explore, um, the headquarters, uh, which, which, which are looking really cool. And that quarry looks, looks really cool. It's really fun to traverse and stuff. So I think it'll be a, a really great, um, place for people to, um, to start. So, so Psychonauts is a, it's a platformer, um, but it's sort of a Tim Schafer platformer, <laughs> which makes it a little bit unique. Um, where there are there are puzzles, but there's also a lot of um, uh, story exploration throughout. And I, I, so so it's so it's 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 pretty unique. Um, so it's a platformer, but you are you you're, you pause quite often, um, to talk to characters, um, to find clues. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a unique type of game. So it's almost like, it's almost like an adventure game platformer, (laughs) if that makes sense. It definitely does make sense just because, um, a lot of games these days, are almost kind of shying away from having more of like that, that graphic adventure, that, that story based ad- adventure, whether it's a, a platformer or point and click yeah. or what, what have you. I personally have always been a big fan of story driven games. I yeah. love a good story. I love getting to know characters and I've noticed that there has been a bit of a trend with more of the, the larger um, studios and publishers where they're they're focusing mainly on a online multiplayer experience yeah. and there's they're really sacrificing a lot of 
the the single player campaign or the single player story. And so that's something that I think, you know, obviously Tim is very gifted at being able to, to um, flesh out these, these worlds from his mind, but also just the fact that you guys have, have um, stuck with the, the idea that, that the story plays in a, in a, just a vital role in your games. And, and I think that, um, it'll be a sad day if that ever goes away and hopefully it won't. I'm hoping that it'll bounce back a bit just because I think the gaming community has been very outspoken with noticing, Hey, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of putting the story component of this yeah. game on the back burner. And as a result, there is not nearly the level of emotional attachment that the gamers have with these characters. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, um, that was a, like for me, I'll use myself as, as an example. Um, I, uh, I'm a huge halo guy. I love, I've always loved the, the halo video game franchise. Yeah. However, um, the most recent versions of the game, I, I find myself not enjoying it as much. And I think one of the reasons for that is because they, they kind of removed master chief from a lot of it. And, they try to introduce this other character, but, but I had already been through all of these alien worlds and adventures with master chief. I just wanted my Spartan one, one seven and, and I'll, <laughs> I, and I'll be a, a happy camper. Um, another example of that kind of bouncing off of that is, um, you have these other games where they will introduce, uh, the, like a character to you that you're supposed to control and that sort of thing. But then at the end of the game, I don't have any, like just just uh, feverish attachment to the character, um, and I think that that's that's so. I don't know. For me, it's such an important aspect to a game, especially games that <clears throat> obviously there there needs to be some sort of story there because that's what creates the purpose. If there's yeah. no purpose to the game, then it's kind of like okay, well, I'm I'm playing kind of this casual, maybe not necessarily a casual game, but I'm playing this game. But why am I playing it? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I, it does make me kind of sad because I, I, I'm kind of like you. I really enjoy a linear story-driven experience, um, and they're expensive to make, right? They're expensive to make, and they don't have a lot of replayability. Um, and so I, I think that publishers are just leery of of it, right? I mean, I, like, I just finished um, Inside. I'm a little behind. Oh, on my, that on my game is so good. And and I and I won't I won't spoil it for anybody. But uh, you know, because I, I loved Limbo, and um, and then I was, I was so stoked when you know Inside was coming out, and and I love that it was still a linear driven. You know, there, there, there's definitely a story there. You've got to kind of figure out what the story is. There's there's no dialogue or anything, but a linear um, experience that I can just sit down by myself at night. I don't have to deal with people yelling at me or, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's a personal, it's a, <clears throat> it's a personal experience. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm really drawn. I love the single player campaign. That's why I think I loved, uh, Red Dead, uh, Red Dead Redemption. That is one of my uh, all time favorite games. It's yeah. so, so good. I mean, you know, but it was, I mean, and you could, you know, you could explore all you wanted. You could spend as much time sitting on a train shooting birds if, if that's what you wanted to do. Um, 
but still, it was a linear um, experience that uh, I loved the idea that it was going to end like a book, you know, mm-hmm. um, or 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 a film, and and I'm and I'm not knocking, you know, you know, multiplayer uh, games. Um, I just just me personally, I, I'd like to see more, um, you know, kind of larger budget. Uh, linear experiences, but I also, you know, it's the economics behind it. I, I, I can understand yeah. uh, why there are fewer. I mean, it's nice that sort of the indies have kind of picked that up though in, in a lot of cases. Um, I'm just trying to think of some, some examples. I mean, a little going back a little bit, like I love, uh, um, uh, sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. Um, just what a, that's like an absolute joy to play. Um, beautiful, fun, weird story, um, little puzzles. Like I loved, I loved that game. I absolutely loved it. And those, those, those games just really leave an impression on me. Um, and, and, and I can take my time. I like, cause maybe I'm just, maybe it's cause I'm older. I don't know. I can take my time. <laughs> I, I can, I can play it for 20 minutes. I can turn it off. You know, um, you know, my son, he, he, he's into video games and you know, he played, he plays destiny or an overwatch and, he can't just turn it off, right? I mean, people are depending on him. If he just like shuts it off, then uh, then then they're gonna hate him. You where know? uh-huh. <laughs> um, I just like games, I can just turn off any time that I want to, and then I can pick them back up. You know, where I where I left them. But yeah, uh, Overwatch actually is a good example of some of th- this is this is fascinating because Overwatch was built from the ground up to be this this multiplayer uh, only experience. However. Blizzard was clever in the sense that they have made all of these pre-rendered episodic cinematics to tell the story because I think they had an aha moment where it's like, wait a minute, we need to get the players invested in these characters. Mm -hmm. It's it's very much a a rich character driven game. How can we do this without having a, a single player story? Yeah. And so it's it's brilliant. I mean, just looking at it, it's like, okay, now that has satisfied my desire to be able to know, okay, you know, if I'm going to play as Farah or, or D.Va or whoever it is, why am, why am I choosing this character? Yeah, they have different types of character attributes. They have different gameplay mechanics. But why? why? What is drawing me to this character? Why do these characters exist in this world? And so that, that is an example of how they were able to overcome that. But in terms of what you folks do at, at Double Fine, I just love the fact that it's just it's oozing, just, just brimming at the top with, just with all this personality and character and, and, and just backstory that provides that purpose. Yeah. And that definitely comes from Tim. I mean, that's, that's, that's his love. You know, that's what he loves to do. Um, he hates it when people say, Oh, you should have made movies. He always gets mad about that. <laughs> He's like, no, I make games. I make games, you know, I make games though with characters that, that people can, can, um, can get to know and can kind of fall in love with. And yeah. 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 I think they probably, you know, with like, te- like team fortress two, right. It seemed like, um, definitely a, a multiplayer, um, shooter that, uh, suddenly though, I think people wanted to know about these characters and, uh, and they wanted to know about their personalities. And so they, you know, they, they made all these cinematics, um, but oh, they were great. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, really well done, really funny, beautifully animated. Um, but, but like, like you said with like Halo, you know, I, I think I played the first three Halos, but I always just played the, I just always played the, uh, 
the single player um, campaigns because that's that's what I loved about it, you know. And then when like the new, I think it was Star Wars, was it the Star Wars Battlefront, the first one that came out? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it didn't. Did it not have a? Because I don't think it had a. Did it not have a, a single player campaign? No, it did not. I think it that's was why only I didn't. I think that's why I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, did you hear about how the the sequel they actually are are pushing the fact that that they now are including a, a, it sounds like a really well thought out single player story. Yeah, see that that'd be great. Like I would probably really, you know, and then maybe I'd play through the the linear experience and then I would go back and and then want to play the multiplayer um afterward, but yeah. Um but yeah, I I I like a I like a story um for sure. From a going back to Psychonauts, from an animation perspective, what goals are you hoping to achieve in Psychonauts two that perhaps didn't exist in the first game? And what I mean by that is just I, looking at the videos that that you have up currently, it's obvious that you're dealing with um, hardware that is capable of just much more high fidelity experiences. And I noticed, I mean, the animations are really. I'm not just saying this just because I have you on the show, but just really I'm, I'm watching it and there is a lot more articulation with everything that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely are trying to um, push the, the fidelity of the animation, you know, with more, more stretch and, um, um, and just hopefully we can do, you know, smoother, you know, smoother transitions um, between the different, Anims, you know, and, and working with with another engine, you know, more mature engine, I think will will help drive that. Um, but then, just a fidelity level, we, we hope is is a step up, and and it will be. I mean, we're you know we're better animators than we were back then, and um, and we've we've learned a lot, and uh, and I, I I think that I think that we'll achieve that um, for sure. The other thing is. We, you know, we'll be working with, uh, for cinematics, uh, we'll definitely end up working with some outsourcing um, groups. And, um, and we, we're, we're looking at different studios right now and we're trying to, you know, making sure that it's a studio that can, um, that can hit those targets that, that we, we really want to hit uh, for, this, for this game. Um, so I, 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 think, I think the fidelity of the animation um, will, be a lot, will be a lot higher. Um, than it was uh, originally. So, how large is the animation team on this particular project? Well, um, I mean, we're still really early, and so right now there's only three of us. Um, okay. So, so we have me, and then we have two other two other animators in in the studio. Um, but we'll we'll probably ramp up, hire a couple more in-house uh, animators, um, and then we will uh, work with a one or two outsourcing groups um, for for some cinematics, um, and maybe, maybe for some gameplay stuff, but, um, all of the, you know, Raz animation, that'll all be done in house. Um, some of the NPC animations so far, we've all just done it, done it in house, but we, we may do some, they may, we may work with some outsourcers on that as well. But, um, you know, when we work with the outsourcers, what we usually try to do is we'll, we'll have like a few really key cutscenes that will, or cinematics that we'll keep in house, um, that to allow Tim to like, look at them, often. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll outsource, um, uh, a lot of the other, a lot of the other stuff. Uh, but you know, there's just, well, I think we'll have to, you know, we just won't be able to, to, to do it. And we don't, we don't want to hire a bunch of people and then lay people off. You know, that's just, that's just, um, 
that's just hard on everybody. Mm. Um, and so sometimes what we'll do is we will we will maybe hire a couple of contract animators to come into the studio. Um, we did that on um, the Rhombus of Ruin. We hired two contract animators to come in. Uh, you know, they were supposed to come in for, uh, you know, like a month, and then they ended up being there for like three or four months helping us. <laughs> Usually <laughs> ends up that way. Wait, you can't leave yet. Yeah, yeah. we got we got to work on our estimates, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It always takes longer than you think. I know you 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 probably understand that. It just always oh, takes longer yeah. than you think it's going to take. We always have the like the initial ah, it'll be fine meeting, and then later on we're like, eh, right, them for another six months to a year. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. So, um, the nice thing with the with with working with the outsourced group um, is that they can scale, right? They can ramp up and ramp they can ramp down as mm-hmm. as, as need be. Um, and so that so that works out pretty well. So at least it has for me in the past. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes this time. Even though um, it sounds like you guys aren't too far along yet within the development cycle, is there a particular character that has been your favorite to work on thus far? Um, yeah, there's one that that I've worked on for Psychonauts two. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, I can't talk about it, but uh, yeah, that's which I shouldn't have even answered because that's kind of lame for me to even say that and then say I can't talk about it. It's like you the, tease. Nobody wants to hear that. Uh, so I'm just trying to think. Um, yeah, that that was a fun character to work with, and hopefully I'll get to do some actual um, cinematics and stuff with that with this particular character. Uh, one character though that I do still love that everybody, everyone that's a Psychonauts fan is is Doctor Lobato. I, I've always loved working with Doctor Lobato. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first game and then in the Rhombus of Ruin, uh, he was, he was really fun to, to animate. Um, I just, I just love that character. He's just, he's just a total goofball. He's evil, but he's, that he's, I don't know. He, I don't want to say he's dumb. He's not really dumb. He's just a little crazy and, uh, a little off. And so it makes it really fun to, to stick really weird things into his animation, weird movements. And, um, yeah, he's, he's great. Dr. Lovato's, uh, one of my favorites to <laughs> animate. <laughs> Mia, Mia is one of the harder ones for me to animate. I don't know why that she's, uh-huh. she's difficult. Um, but, but we have some really, there's some really cool new characters coming up. Like, and whenever I see, um, Scott Campbell's designs come in, um, Oh, sorry, I dropped something there. Um, whenever I see, <laughs> whenever I see Scott's uh, designs come in, I just get super excited because when I when I first interviewed at Double Fine, you know, I I drove up. They were in this. It was basically it was like a it was like a countertop or a shelf. What was it? It was like a counter building shop. Like it wasn't it wasn't made to make it wasn't built for making video games. It was it was a garage is what it was. Mm-hmm. But I went in there and there were these drawings on the wall that Scott Campbell had, had done of some of the characters from from you know from the first game. Uh, when when they were just doing, you know, they're still in pre-production. And I just fell in love with them. Like I was like, "Oh, I've got to work on this." Just looking at those characters, I was like, "I got I've got to work on the this game." Um and and every time one of his characters comes in, you know, I just, it's, it's that same feeling. I'm always, I get excited to, to, to animate the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, there, there's some fun ones. I think people are going to, going to enjoy them. Um, I, th- I think they, if they, if they enjoyed the first one and they enjoyed the characters of the first game, I think they're going to really, really dig this one. 
I think the final question I have for you is, um, other than the games that you've worked on, do you have any websites that folks can go see your, your animation mojo as it were? <sighs> this is your opportunity to plug your good works. Yeah, no, you know, I don't put, I, you know, it's, so here's the problem when you, when, <laughs> when you've worked at a studio for as long as I, when you've worked at that long, <laughs> you're not, you don't promote yourself very much because, you know, you're not really out looking for the next opportunity, I guess. Sure. And so, um, so I really, I, I don't have really much of anything out there. Like I, I haven't put a reel together in a, in a really long time because I, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, would, it would take me a year to like dig through <laughs> everything. So unfortunately I don't really have anything out there. I mean, the, the closest thing is people could, um, uh, I did a GDC talk, um, a couple of years ago, uh, on the animation process of broken age. And that, that's pretty, that I, there you I go. Yeah. Pretty, I think that's pretty interesting for people. So they could just kind of do a, just search, uh, GDC, probably, uh, Ray Crook, like animation process for broken age or something like that. You'd, you'd find it. it. It's not in the vault. I think it's actually available for anyone to, to view. Um, and you might find that, that pretty interesting. Um, it, it, uh, it kind of, I go kind of deep into how we developed the, the style and then what, you know, the process that we used and the workflow that we used, um, for that specific game. Um, so, so that, that might be interesting for people. Um, but I don't have a specific website to give for that, but you could, you could probably easily find it. Yeah. Um, so, and the other thing is, is just, I would, I would encourage people to go check out the Double Fine Adventure documentary. I think that, um, if you're, if you like video games, um, it's fascinating and it's really well done. And, um, I think it'll give people a lot of insight as well as kind of understanding, um, of what it takes to, to make a game. Um, really educational, like any students, I always tell them, like, if you're studying animation or you're interested in getting into video games, you know, go watch that, the whole thing, go watch the whole documentary. Um, it'll either encourage you to get in the industry or discourage you depending on how you look at it. <laughs> cause it's, cause it's a pretty honest uh, look at uh, what it takes and what it's like to work in the, work in the industry. So I, I would encourage people to, to check that out. Um, yeah. That totally works. Absolutely. I definitely appreciate um, you taking the time to talk to me about this. I've been looking forward to chatting with you ever since we got this set up because <clears throat> I actually did not know that Psychonauts 2 was going on um, until just recently. And I was thinking, man, I've got to talk to Ray and see if I can get him on the show. So thank you very much for your time. I know that you're crazy busy. You've got your your family and everything else. But this is this is definitely a great opportunity for us to be able to talk. Yeah, no, thanks, Russ. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I hope it's helpful for people. You know, I, I mean, I remember when I was a student and uh, just studying, I remember how excited I would get, um, you know, just either to meet someone from the industry or listen to some, you know, something that they said uh, might spark some kind of a, you know, some motivation or, or an idea in somebody or just get them excited. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, that about wraps it up this episode. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and subscribe to get the most out of the show as well as gain early access to each podcast episode. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on soundcloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.